0: Today's episode is brought to you by Drink Katie's. Drink Katie's is a coffee and tea company that is on a mission to spread love through their campaign, Love is Brewing, and through their amazing products. I love sipping on the different teas all day because it makes drinking water so much easier and fun. Their newest product is their cold brew, and it is my favorite. If you want to try these delicious teas and coffees, use my code lauren20 or use the link drinkkaties.com slash lauren20 for 20% off. That's drinkkaties.com slash lauren20 for 20% off. And I will link all of this in the show notes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the So Can I podcast. If you are new, welcome. And if you are a returning listener, welcome back. I am so thankful that you are here. Today, my guest is Elizabeth Pollock. Elizabeth is the owner of Adelaide Thomas Wines, a boutique family-owned winery in Sonoma County, California. Adelaide Thomas produces three different wines every year, a Rosé of Pinot Noir, a Savion Blanc, and a Cabernet Savion. Elizabeth's wines are made from organic grapes and with a low-intervention, clean winemaking style. Elizabeth grew up in Dallas and graduated from Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee. She earned her JD from the University of Chicago Law School and worked as a corporate lawyer before moving to San Francisco and working in-house at several private equity and technology firms. In 2017, she and her husband bought a home in Sonoma, California that happened to have a winery on the property. And in 2019, she left the world of tech and finance to focus full time on building out Adelaide Thomas. I have had a few listener recommendations, but Elizabeth was my first guest recommendation. Allie Hoffberg from a few episodes back recommended Elizabeth, and once I read her story, I knew she would be absolutely perfect for the podcast. Her story is truly one of resilience and perseverance. In this episode, we talk about her early days as a lawyer, her transition to owning the winery, the devastating fire that swept through Sonoma and completely engulfed her house, and how she rebuilt her life and business after that. While she was speaking, I truly had trouble believing all that she has had to overcome, and I just know you all are going to love hearing Elizabeth's story. Hello, everyone. Today, my guest is Elizabeth. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I like to start out with a little bit of rapid fire. So what would you say your favorite restaurant is?
1: Oh, gosh, this one's hard. Um, I think it depends on the city that I'm in. We kind of, I spend a lot of time, we live in Dallas, but I spend a lot of time in California as well. So Um, I would say in Dallas, I love R&D Kitchen, I love Georgie, and my absolute favorite is TJ Seafood. And then in Sonoma, I love Valley Bar and Bottle, I love any of the restaurants in Hillsburg, it's like the best place to go eat in Sonoma right now. Um, And in Napa, I love just like the old favorites, Bouchon, French Laundry, all of those.
0: Love it. Well, I've never been to any of those places, but I will definitely put those on my list. Um, (laughs) What is your dream vacation? Oh gosh.
1: Um, I love Hawaii. It's like my very favorite place. I love London. Uh, so for city vacation, I would say London for like a tropical beach vacation. Definitely Hawaii.
0: What is your favorite book?
1: Oh gosh. Of all time or that I've read recently?
0: Either one. (laughs)
1: Okay. I can do both. (laughs) Okay. Um, my favorite book of all time is Pride and Prejudice. By Jane Austen. Just such a classic. I read it every few years. I watch the movie every year. It's my favorite. Um, and then recently I read a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, and I thought it was so good and so helpful and really helped me to reflect on my daily habits and routines and how they can affect my ultimate success.
0: Yeah, definitely. That is actually on my Amazon list right now. So I need to order it. Okay. What is your morning routine?
1: Um, So I wake up kind of early. I'm a morning person for sure. Uh, I'd have a hot water with lemon and then an oat milk cappuccino. And I usually read or sit down and do my to do list for the day or kind of go through my inbox. Um, And I try and work out every morning if I can. I love my Peloton. I love Cody Rigsby. He's my favorite instructor. Um, It doesn't always happen. But that's kind of my usual morning routine.
0: Yeah, love it. And so what TV show are you loving right now?
1: Well, I don't watch a ton of TV, uh, but my favorite show that I anticipate when it comes out every year is The Crown on Netflix. It's my favorite. Um, I feel like we've been waiting for years for it to come out. I love The Housewives. I love Beverly Hills Housewives the best. Um, I can't believe that show has been on so long, but I've been watching since the beginning and I love it.
0: That's hilarious because So The Crown, I actually started watching it last year. And so I binged it and I feel like season five is taking years to come out. I and- did. Yeah. And so I've got my mom into it and we're on season one of The Crown, but also I'm actually binging Beverly Hills right now. I'm in season seven. So that's funny that you say that. Um, I've watched probably for the last four years, but I didn't start it from the beginning then. You know, I just kind of watched the last four seasons. And so I wanted to watch it from the beginning, but I love that show. It's so good. Okay. What is your superpower? I
1: think uh, organizing. I'm a super organizer. Um, I love to-do lists. I love just getting stuff done. And um, and I think my other would be recruiting and getting teams, team building, getting teams excited about accomplishing a goal. That was kind of back when I was in the corporate world, that was sort of my superpower.
0: Yeah, I love that. Okay. What charity would you like to highlight in today's episode?
1: So um, one local charity here in Sonoma that I love is the Sonoma Ecology Center. They're focused on preserving habitats for wildlife and, and just kind of taking care of the environment here in Sonoma County. And I love them. They're amazing. Um, And then my very favorite charity of all time is Best Friends Animal Society in Utah. They are an animal sanctuary um, and they're doing amazing work rescuing dogs, cats, horses, birds, whatever animal it might be. Um, And the facility is amazing. I actually went there for a week and volunteered. It's a really cool place to visit if you're ever in Southern Utah.
0: Yeah, we will link to those in the show notes. And so I can't wait to dive into your story, but I kind of want to get a little bit of background information on you first. And so maybe just tell us where you're from and what you were like as a kid.
1: <laughs> so I grew up in um, Dallas, uh, in a suburb outside of Dallas, Texas. And um, what was I like as a kid? Well, I was very type A. I was like the girl that was like, I'm going to get all the straight A's. I'm going to do all the things, all the activities. Um I want to have all the friends. I kind of had a very fun childhood. Uh, And then I um, left Dallas, went to college in Tennessee at Rhodes College in Memphis and went from there straight through to law school at University of Chicago. And then after law school, moved back to Dallas to kind of start my legal career.
0: Wow, that's crazy! Yeah, I didn't know that you went to college in Tennessee. I I live in Tennessee, born and raised, but in East yeah. Tennessee, so very far from from Memphis. But um, okay, so tell me a little bit about that time, that time in college, and then law school. Like, what was it like? Did you have fun? Were you nervous about like the future? Like, what what was that like for you? I
1: think that college was the very best experience I've ever had in my whole life. Like, I just can't overstate how much I loved roads, how much I loved college, the experience, Memphis was fantastic. It is the most fun place, like the food and the music. And it was a great place to go to college. I always knew, I would say pretty early on that I wanted to go to law school. I wanted to be a lawyer. It's just funny how my path ended up because I thought that's what I wanted to do ended up not being the case. But um, so I decided to go to law school, I applied to all the law schools and um, ended up getting into University of Chicago and wanted to move to Chicago. Um, and it just, it seemed like the the best place for me. It was really great. I went and visited, went and met a couple of the professors there. It was a a good experience. I would say that Chicago winters are not my jam. Um, that was a really tough thing to do to be in Chicago in a really hard law school in the middle of winter, uh, for a gal who had never been North before. Lots of snow. I had to learn how to drive to school every day in the snow. So that was an interesting experience. But I would say that law school was probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life. And I'm just grateful I got through it.
0: Yeah, definitely. My dad is a lawyer. So he tells us stories about it all the time. And my dad actually also spent some time in Chicago um, right after college. And he talks about the wind in Chicago. I mean, obviously, it's called the Windy City. But he's like, you would turn around a street corner and just be like, almost knocked down with just like frigid wind. And I just I can't imagine being in Tennessee. Yeah, it like takes your breath
1: away. Like, you, it's so cold that when you step outside, it literally sucks the air out of your lungs. And I remember when I graduated from college and I was moving to Chicago, my uncle who lives in Montana gave me this like two foot long stick that had a brush and an ice scraper on it. And I was like, What am I supposed to do with this? I don't even know what this is. He's like, Trust me, you're going to need this. I use that thing every single day in the winter because I had to go out to my car. I parked outside and clean all the snow off. And like, sometimes my doors were frozen shut. It was a whole adventure. Um, And I had to learn quickly how to adjust.
0: Yeah, definitely. I've I've been to Chicago once, but it was in the summer. So I can't say that I've ever experienced that. And also being in Tennessee, we have fairly mild winters. But yeah, that seems like a big, big shock, I'm sure to you. But um, what was your first job like after law school? So tell me a little bit about that time.
1: Yeah, so I moved back home to Dallas. I had worked in my summers um, in New York and in Dallas and kind of had a job offer in both places and had to decide where to move. And I ultimately decided to move home to where my family and most of my friends were. And my first job uh, was at a big law firm doing corporate work, working in real estate private equity. It was, um, I loved it. It was great. I eventually moved very shortly thereafter to a very big law firm called Jones Day. Worldwide firm. I was working in the real estate department. It was um, a great experience. I loved the firm. I loved the people I worked with. It was very hard. I worked a lot of all nighters. It was very, a lot of intense pressure and just a difficult thing to deal with working that much, like for days at a time. If we were working on a deal, I remember one month where I worked every single day without a day off for an entire month, like pretty much 12 to 15 hour days. And I have never been that exhausted in my whole life. And when you're 25, you can survive that. Um, I could never do it now. But that was, it's just exhausting. But I learned a lot. And it was a really good experience. It taught me to really focus on details and to um, focus on getting things done. I think a lot of my organizing comes from that time in my life that that need to kind of create order out of chaos.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, my dad, he, um, He was only practicing law for probably about 12 years. And then he got an opportunity in banking. But that was kind of what he said. He's like, you know, I was working 80, 90 hour weeks. And he's like, that's not sustainable when you have a family that you want to come home to, you know? And he's like, I would work till nine, 10 o'clock if we were, you know, had a case or whatever. And so I was, I think, two years old when he stopped practicing law full time. And so I don't even know that, you know, side of him. But I feel like, and you probably can relate, once you're a lawyer, I don't think you've ever stopped. Thinking like a lawyer, like I just think it's such an interesting way of thinking because I mean, my dad will say things that I'm like, I never would have thought of that, and so I feel like that could be <laughs> very beneficial to you now running the winery, which I kind of want to get into. Um, so, how did you stumble across this winery?
1: Yeah, that's, that's such a good question. It's such a funny story. So, also, so backing up just a little bit. When I was working still at Jones Day in in Dallas, I was looking for a new adventure, wanted to do something a little bit different. And so I transferred within the firm to our San Francisco office. I didn't know anyone in San Francisco, except my best friend from law school was there, which was great. Um, So I kind of moved to a new city, didn't know anyone um, and started to build a life out on the West Coast, which was amazing. About seven years after I moved to San Francisco, I met my husband. He's also a Texan. Um, Same age, went to University of Richmond, just a great, great guy. Adore him. He um, works in finance. And we decided pretty early on. I mean, it was we knew we were going to get married pretty early on. But we were looking, we were living in San Francisco, we were looking for a weekend place up in Sonoma, because San Francisco is really cold in the summer. Um, which everyone and all my Texas friends are like, oh, that sounds great. But when you're there, it's just you want to be wearing a sundress and you want to be out and about. And it's too cold to do that in the city or used to be back then. Um, And so we started looking at places in Sonoma and we ended up finding this amazing house that we fell in love with. It was beautiful. It was up on a mountain, had these sweeping views of the Sonoma Valley. But it was a weird property because it had an old winery on it. Uh, it had an old, two old winery buildings and it had, um, all the permitting that you need, which is actually kind of hard to get now. So it had permits, it had all the things It had like these tanks and it was crazy. But I told my husband, you know, this is a, no one wants to touch this property because it's kind of weird. It's like a lot of acreage and just weird. Um, so I said, we should do this because I think it's a really good deal. So we ended up buying it and, (laughs) Um, no intention whatsoever to be a winemaker or to build out a winery. I was working at a startup in the city at the time, um, and that was not on my career path. But then, you know, things just got
0: going, and here we are. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, that was going to be my next question, was if you had the intention when you bought it to to actually run a winery. But um, that's so interesting. And so how long did it take to kind of like – fix things up. I know you fixed the house up and then I guess you started with the winery. So how long did that take? Yeah. So when
1: we first moved in, we, we didn't know what we wanted to do with the winery. We were like, should we knock it down? Should we sell the equipment? And then the guy who had been managing the property before and making wine there, you know, met with us and said, Hey, you have this asset here. You should definitely start making wine. Um, At that point, I didn't know much about wine. My husband always makes fun of me because he's like, you didn't even know the difference between like Cabernet Sauvignon and Pinot Noir. I mean, how ridiculous is that? I I didn't know. So I was like, okay, well, why not? Let's start making wine here. So um, the first couple of vintages, this um, guy, Rene, he's amazing. Um, He helped us find grapes and because we don't grow our own grapes, we buy all of our grapes and process them up at the winery. And we made a couple of really small vintages. And then it became clear to us that we had a real asset here that we could use um, to help other winemakers make their wine, kind of establish a custom crush facility and um, make our own wine as well. So we went out and we found a partner. They were going to uh, make their wine here and also help us with our uh, building our brand. And it became pretty apparent as I started working with them and starting started working to build out our new winery that this was a full-time job. And if I wanted to really Give this my all and make it a success. I kind of had to focus on it full time. My husband couldn't; he was very busy with his job. So, at the end of 2019, I decided to leave the corporate world, leave the startup world behind, and um, focus on building out our business full time. So, in 20 at the end of 2019, I started the sprint to build out a new facility. We already had the building, but we needed to buy new equipment, buy new tanks, do all the things, and um, tried to sprint to get ready for harvest of 2020. And then COVID hit, and it's been a wild ride ever since.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I kind of want to back up a second to just those beginning stages. So you buy the house with really no intention of doing much with the winery, but there had to be a moment where you were like, Hmm, maybe we can maybe we could do this. Like, so have you always been kind of like a go-getter? Like, cause I feel like if I bought a house right now that had an old winery, I don't know, I don't know if I could start a business and make wine. So I'm sure maybe in the beginning it just seemed like it was something that you were just gonna test the waters with, but now it's developed into this full time business. And so have you just always kind of had that like go for it attitude? For sure. Yes. I, I think I've always when I see an opportunity,
1: I always kind of gravitate towards making the most of that opportunity if there's something that presents itself. And I think the house and the winery is a really good example of that because it was this weird thing that no one wanted to buy because they couldn't wrap their mind around, well, it's a house, but it's also a winery and it's got a ton of acreage. What do we do with this? And I sort of saw the opportunity there. And that was what was really, um, that, that was important to me to see an opportunity and then go for it. And I probably didn't think all about how hard it would be and all the things that we would go through, um, but I'm glad I went for it ultimately.
0: Yeah, definitely. I had a girl on the podcast just recently, and she was talking about how she had started a podcast and how she's like, you know, if I had known in the beginning all of the challenges and things that I was going to face, I would never have done it. She's like, so I was glad that I didn't know any of that, which I mean, speaking of you guys have had a lot of challenges. I mean, COVID being one of those. So tell me a little bit about the pandemic and how that like influenced just the the company, like what stages were you at when the pandemic hit? Like, just tell me all about that.
1: Yeah, we were very early stage at that point when the pandemic hit, we had just sort of um, signed up with a couple of partners who wanted to make their wine here. It was early days for the company. And we weren't sure how it was going to go. No one knew, right? Like we were like, what's going to happen? Is this even going to work? The world felt like it was ending. But then it became pretty clear in the early days that actually the wine industry would come through all right, for sure. Because the one thing everyone was doing (laughs) was drinking wine at home every night. I mean, I remember we would have these like Zoom happy hours with my friends and we'd all have our wine. And so actually wine consumption, I think, increased in the early days of, of the pandemic. And so that was good for the industry. And at that point we knew that we were gonna be okay in in terms of that that piece. Um, The next part that happened, the fires, that was a whole different animal.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, going back to COVID just really quick, and then we'll get into the fire. Yeah, my parents are not huge wine drinkers at all, actually. I mean, they're kind of like you. I don't know that they would even be able to tell the difference between two bottles of wine. But uh, my dad joined a wine club during COVID. I'm like, what are (laughs) you doing? And he's still in it. It's so funny because he gets a delivery, you know, each month with wine that he just kind of puts back on the shelf and he'll give away his gifts. So you're right. I feel like the wine industry really boomed during that time. But yeah, tell me a little bit about the fire. Because that was when I was reading about it on your website, I was just like, my heart was hurting for you. I'm like, no, this is terrible. So tell me a little bit about it.
1: Yeah. So um back in 2020, there was a wildfire in Napa and Sonoma called the Glass Fire. Um, you know, going back to the year we bought the property in 2017, we'd had fires every year. So we almost lost the property in 2017. And then there's a wildfire, there was a wildfire every year after thereafter. I was you know, very paranoid about fire. I made sure we had great insurance. I I literally had like fire extinguishers all over the house, and my husband thought I was crazy. He's like, "You're crazy," but I just had this sense that at some point this could happen. And in 2020, we had a very very bad fire season, and I say bad because a lot of people in Northern California lost their homes. Um, it was a terrible year for the wine industry because the fire started early. So. The first fire was a big fire complex and, uh, called the Ellen. I can't even remember what it's called now. It was in August. It was started by lightning. And um, what happens in wine country when you have fires like that is the smoke settles in, right? And that is really bad for the grapes. It gets into the skins of the grapes and it can cause something called smoke taint, which is terrible for wine. It makes your wine smell and taste like an ashtray. It is not a good <laughs> characteristic of wine. And when it happens that early, before the grapes have been harvested with red grapes, it's a disaster. So a lot of people, if you are a wine drinker and you're ever looking for like a Napa or Sonoma 2020 Cabernet Sauvignon, you're not going to find one on the shelves because most people just didn't pick their grapes or they didn't use their grapes um, because they were unusable. So the smoke that year was terrible. So we were already going into harvest with this kind of, okay, well, the white grapes aren't going to be affected, right? Because you, you, you pick them. And then you press them off the skins right away. So they're not bathing in that smoke. Um, So you can still make white wines, no problem. But the reds were going to be a problem. And then at the end of September, you know, that's when the fire came through. And it was devastating. I was there at the house that morning. Um, I woke up really early and I went out and I saw smoke coming over from Napa. And I called my husband out and I was like, there's smoke in Napa. I wonder if this is a new fire. And sure enough, a new fire had started on the far east side of the Napa Valley, which is actually quite far from us in terms of a fire. I didn't feel scared at all. I didn't feel like we were threatened at all. And so we kind of said, OK, well, my husband was going to go back into the city that night and I was going to stay um, at the house. And I... Um, got through the day, did a bunch of work. I was inventorying some barrels in the winery and just checking on some wines. And as the afternoon progressed, I got increasingly concerned that uh, the fire weather was really getting bad and that they were going to cut the power. That's what they do in Northern California. When the fires come through, they'll cut the power to keep the power lines from starting fires. So I said, okay, they're going to cut the power. So maybe I'll go into the city just to be safe. And so I left, I got back to the city um, I checked on our Cabernet grapes um, on the way out and cause I was worried about smoke taint and sure enough, we lost those grapes. But um, so I got into the city and um, watched the fire and it started to spread really quickly. And a few hours after I got into the city, I got a notice that the fire was about five miles away from us quickly. Thereafter I saw on Twitter, because you know, I follow fire Twitter that the fire was on our, road. Um, I couldn't believe it. I was, it was shocking. And at that moment we also got the evacuation alert. So I was texting my neighbors, like, make sure you get out. This is bad. And within maybe 38 minutes to an hour, our house was gone. It happened so fast. I couldn't believe it. Our neighbors watched the fire come up on their cameras and then it was over. And, um, yeah, that house was gone. Uh, the house burned down the old winery, the old winery we were just using for like, as a garage, like storage, we weren't making wine there. Um, that burned down. Um, and we didn't know for days, you know, what the situation was, but it was, it was terrible, (laughs) heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I'm just glad that you left when you did, because I, I know that, um, in my area in Tennessee, we don't get a lot of, I mean, there's really never a fire, uh, worry, you know, that something would happen like that. But, you know, the Smoky Mountains, they, there was a huge fire in Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge. I think it was in 2016. And it was kind of like with uh, what you said, how it just spread so quickly. Um, that was kind of what happened there. It was just, I mean, I think they had given them like 19 hours to get out, you know, you, you'll have time to evacuate. And it was there within like less than two hours. So I know those things can just spread so quickly, and that's just that's terrifying. And were you guys? So I know you had a place in the city, but were you living out at the winery for kind of yeah. full time since you were doing the business? So you lost your entire house, and so just tell me, like, I mean, what was that? What were those days following the fire like for you? We cried
1: every single night, like we cried ourselves to sleep every night. Like I get teary eyed just thinking about it. Oh, my gosh, it, and it was two years ago, but. um you know, that was our main house. And because of COVID, we lived there full time. And I had all my things there. I had all my my clothes, my dresses, my bags, my shoes. I had all of my family heirlooms, all of our photos and, you know, like my grandmother's fur and all all the things that were such treasures to me. Um, They were all there. I lost all of my, any paper photos I had. I was such an idiot and did not upload those things and digitize them. And that is my the thing I tell everyone, if you're waiting to digitize the photos, do it now, because you never know when you're going to lose that stuff. Um, so we lost it all. I had, I didn't take anything with me and I regret that. Um, and there's just a sense of loss and emptiness that happens after something like that. It, it It's hard to describe um, because we were so attached. We had spent so much time and money and effort building out the winery and, and, um, fixing up the house and making it a place that we really wanted to be. And so it was a huge sense of loss and grief. And we cried and we went up to the property about five days after the fire. We were able to get up and that was devastating. I just, I bawled my eyes out and, um, you know, it was, it was awful. The smell was just overwhelming. Everything was charred. We live kind of on top of a mountain and there's trees and it's beautiful. And it was just a black landscape. It looked like a bomb went off. It was devastating. And so we just, we got in the car and we went, we went down to LA or to the beach, um, Santa Barbara and Montecito, because we just had to get away. Um, And, you know, I think it took a few weeks, but we slowly started to recover and start to think about what we have to do. (laughs) Um, Insurance is such a thing. I don't, wish that on anyone to have to go through that process. Um and you know, you we have to start cleaning up the property. Um there are all these things you have to do after a fire like this. You have to take inventory of everything that you lost and man, I shed a lot of tears doing that. Um because you start to remember, oh wow, I lost this, I lost that. It'll pop up in the middle of the night. You wake up and you're like, "Oh my god, I lost this thing that was such a treasure and so important to me that I can't replace." Um, so that was a really, really tough thing um, yeah. in the days after the fire.
0: Um, so what do you do? Because I know you said that like you looked out and everything was just charred. And so I imagine you're meaning like the grapes, like where you would plant the grapes and all of that is just kind of like gone. So like, I mean, obviously, I guess that harvest season was done. I mean, you're just a complete wash. But what do you do for like the next year? Like, are you able to plant where it was burnt? Like, how does that work? So we don't plant grapes
1: on our property. We buy all of our grapes from around the county, which is eventually I do think we want to plant. But it's also nice to buy grapes from farmers because you don't take on the the growing risk. There's a lot of growing risk in Sonoma County because of the drought and the fires. Um, So but thankfully, we had another wine building that we had built out where we had all of our wine from that vintage stored. We didn't have we hadn't made our reds yet, but we had made our whites and that building survived. It was made of concrete. It was built into the side of a hill. Um, the fire just kind of skipped over it. And the funny thing is we have this Airstream trailer um, that we use as like the kitchen and the bathroom and the office for the winery. And it survived too. And our our truck that we have for the winery, it survived too. It was like the fire just kind of skipped over it. It was wild. I couldn't believe it. So all of our wine survived. All of our partner's wine survived. Um, you know, it, the, the smoke didn't, affect any of it. It was all safe. We moved it right away. Like within a couple of days of the fire, our partners got in, they moved all the barrels down to a better facility. We transferred all the wine into new barrels. It was, um, ended up being fine, but it was a miracle. I couldn't believe that that happened. And so we still have our winery. We still have our Airstream trailer and our truck and our wine from that vintage. And, um, we can still make wine here. You know, there's a little bit of infrastructure work that still needs to be fixed and addressed, but, um we were very very lucky that that all of that survived.
0: I don't know how, but it did. That's crazy. What a silver lining. I mean, I know that must have been just horrific to lose all of your personal things, but you know, wow, to have that wine, like that's just that that's that's awesome. And so I kind of want to get a little bit deeper though in just the wine making process because I don't really know much about it. And so can you just like, let us know, like, what is the process from start to finish? Like, what is your part in it? Like, what do you guys do? Yeah, that's such a good question.
1: So I, and I don't want to, hopefully this won't be too simplistic, but I just don't know how much your listeners know about the winemaking process. But so every year at harvest, which is about this time of year, you know, the winemakers, the growers, they go into the vineyards and they start picking the grapes. So this is the harvest time, this is when we bring in the grapes. It's still very early right now, so the things that are coming in are the early grapes, like the grapes that come in for sparkling wines, that's what most people are picking right now, and then the white grapes. The red grapes, like Cabernet Sauvignon, that will be harvested much later. So what happens is the grapes get picked in the vineyard, they get trucked into the winery, um and depending on the varietal and the style um they might go into the press right away to press the juice off the skins and then the juice will go into the fermentation tanks where they start to ferment so when when you press the grapes like if you take a cup from the press it tastes like grape juice tastes like apple juice actually to me so it's it's just a fruit juice it's not alcohol yet but then you put it in the fermentation tank and you can either add yeast or use natural yeast from the winery and it starts to over time Turn into alcohol. The yeast consumes the sugar from the fruit juice, and um, it creates alcohol as a byproduct. Also creates CO two, and that kind of burns off into the atmosphere. And then um, fermentation can take anywhere from a week to two weeks to a month. It just depends on the speed and the varietal and how the winemaking is done. And so, uh, you know, with red with red grapes, you typically don't press right away because you want the wine juice to sit with the skins to pick up the color and the tannins and all the phenols, all the things that are good from the skin. So red winemaking is a little bit different than wine wine making. We make two whites and a red. We make a a Pinot Noir Rosé. We make a Sauvignon Blanc. And we make a uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. So we kind of have both worlds in terms of winemaking. does that, is that kind of a, an okay yes. primer on how that works?
0: Yeah, I know nothing about the process. So I'm glad you simplified it. And so I am curious because so many of my guests have, you know, started out doing something like maybe sales or whatever. And then now they have their own business. They're doing something completely different. And a common theme is like, uh, I just Googled everything, you know, like that's how <laughs> I learned it. And so I'm curious how, cause you said you knew nothing yeah. really about wine. So how did you learn all of this? Oh my gosh. Google
1: is my best friend. Um, our consulting winemakers, um, this a uh, couple named Jenny and Scott Schultz, they have their own wine label called Jolie Laid, which is incredible. They've taught me so much. I took um, c- classes at the Santa Rosa Junior College. Okay. The Santa Rosa Junior College here in Sonoma has the best winemaking classes. Um, they're amazing. I read books. Um, I learned on the job. There are so many new skills that I had to learn that for the first year, I've never felt more, I've never felt dumber than I did that first year because I knew nothing. I had to learn to drive a forklift. I had to learn how to use all of this mechanical equipment. And I, you know, I was a lawyer. I was working in technology and software. I had no idea how to do these physical things. Um, so it was a really steep learning curve, learning both about wine, the wine industry, and then learning mechanically how to make wine. Um And that was hard. Uh, That was really hard because I felt I was kind of, when I left the technology world, I was kind of a senior executive. I had teams. I felt like I knew what I was doing. And then this was a totally different animal, um, used a completely different set of, uh, different part of my brain really. Um, and so, yeah, I agree with you. Google is, I mean, I, I Google stuff every day to this day still. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, I think that takes a lot of confidence to go from somewhere where you're at the top of your career, you're leading a team, you know what you're doing, you know, and then to immerse yourself in something that you have absolutely no idea what you're doing, but you're just like, I'm going to figure it out. And so I love that. And I'm also a little bit curious. I know, I think I read that um, your wine is organic. And so I want to know like what sets your wine apart from other people's wines? So from the very beginning, I've taken the approach that I want to make
1: wines that are very tasty and lovely to drink, but that will also leave you feeling good and not uh, feeling bad. And I've noticed this over time with good quality wines made with organic grapes and good um, winemaking techniques, I don't get hangovers. Like I do with some other wines, I don't get that wine headache. You know, when you buy a bottle of wine from the grocery store and it's cheap and, you know, maybe it tastes good, but the next day or later that evening, you're like, oh my gosh, I do not feel well. I wanted to try to figure that piece out. And so with a lot of experimentation on myself, I realized that for me personally, when I drink grape uh, wines that are made with organic grapes or that are made with biodynamic grapes, I feel great. I don't get hangovers and I don't um, feel badly and they taste better. They're just better. They don't have all these chemical additives. Um, I think a dirty secret of the wine industry is that in order to make your wine, your grocery store wine consistent, they're doing a lot of things in the wine uh, and in the winery to get that consistent result. And those things may not always be chemicals that I would be comfortable with. So from the very beginning, I said, I want to make wines with organic grapes. I don't want a bunch of junk put in there during fermentation or during aging. I want it to be, I'm not going to say natural because natural wine is its own category. And I we are not in the natural wine category. I love those wines, but um we we take a different approach, um, but we do focus on organic grapes. And every the most important piece of any wine is is the fruit that goes into it.
0: Yeah, I love that, and I feel like there's a lot that people don't know about the wine industry. And so, what is something that you think everyone should know about wine or about the wine industry? Well,
1: this is a, a theme that I've been talking about recently, and I I would want folks to know that winemaking as a small winemaker in California, Northern California is actually really hard. Um, it's harder than it should be because we're dealing with fires and droughts. And I and I don't think that the everyday consumer always knows or appreciates what goes into those bottles because um, like for instance, getting insurance is impossible and it's very expensive. And then every year you're stressed out, like are the grapes gonna get smoked? Are we gonna have a fire? Are we gonna be able to get to the vineyards to pick the grapes? Are we gonna be able to process the grapes? Um, so I think that what I would say is that you know just it's easy to just buy a bottle and not think about what goes into it. But we we deal with a lot recently. <laughs> Last year we had a, a terrible drought. Um, yields were way down. You know some some growers lost their entire crop. They had to drop the fruit to save the vines. And so it's just been. A very tough time for the Northern California vintners. and honestly, around the world, the you know, in France right now, between fires and droughts, things are really hard for winemakers. Um, and so, I think that that's right now what I would want everyone to know about the wine industry is that um, it's 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 a pretty hard thing to do.
0: Yeah, and so yeah, I mean, it seems like it's very difficult, especially just with everything that you personally have been through with the winery. And so, because of that, though, I mean, you must be you seem like you're very passionate about it. And so to have bought this house and not really even known if you're going to use the winery to now, you know, overcoming a fire and everything, like how has the purpose of this company changed? And like, what, what is the purpose of it?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think I set out um, with this purpose in mind. I kind of at the beginning was like, "Whoa, well, we'll make wine. It'll be fun. I love wine. My friends love wine. But what I learned through the pandemic and after the pandemic is that our wine really brings people joy and i think we all have struggled in our own way over the past few years a lot of people have been through some really hard times losing family members being quarantined at home surviving wildfires and floods and all the things and i had a, a friend recently say you know when i had a tough when i have a tough day and i can come home and open a bottle of your rosé it just makes me feel better And it brings me joy, and that was a revelation for me. And I said, "That's it. That's my purpose. However, I can whatever I can do to bring joy into the lives of those around me. I want to do that thing. And right now, that happens to be making wine. And who doesn't love wine? (laughs) You know. Um, And and so that has been really meaningful to me is knowing that what we're doing every day is bringing happiness and joy um, to to people. Um, because it's, it's hard, it's hard out there right now. And so I really enjoy making a product, um, creating a product that will, that can help in its own little way.
0: Yeah. I love that. And so kind of just from a business perspective, have you always wanted to be an entrepreneur? Is that something that you had ever thought about doing? Like, I mean, is this something you saw for yourself?
1: Not really. I was definitely on like the corporate straight and narrow. I was going to kind of rise up through the ranks and be part of, you know, organizations I'd never had the desire to start my own company that seemed very overwhelming and scary I like to I like to join companies early on and help them grow but I was never like the person who was gonna do the thing um, but especially after I married my husband because he's very entrepreneurial I started to take that on more. And especially when we had this opportunity with the winery, I said, why not? Like I I have the skills, I know I can do this. And I have the confidence that I can do this. Um, So I I kind of took took the leap at that point. But it wasn't something I ever thought I would do.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I know just from experience, owning a business can be just very difficult. And you've been through a ton of challenges that ordinary business owners don't even ever even have to think about, but what would you say has been the most challenging part of owning this winery? Yeah. Oh,
1: that's, there've been so many. I think that um, just the challenge of learning to do something new, um, learning to adapt to a really ever-changing environment in terms of the grapes, the business environment, the economy, oh, there's just so many factors that go into whether or not this is going to be successful. Um, and I think that trying to navigate all of those challenges, it has absolutely been my biggest challenge. And every day I'll, I'll have a different answer. Like what's my biggest challenge right now? Some days it's just like using the forklift to move stuff around the winery. I still get scared. Like it scares me when I pick up barrels with the forklift. Um, and so every day there's a little challenge that helps me grow as a person and, um, become better. But it's just it's a challenging environment in general, I think, to navigate right now.
0: Yeah, definitely. But I feel like whenever you do like overcome a challenge, it's so much more rewarding because it was so hard to begin with. And when you accomplish it, it's like the best feeling ever. Um, But I'm curious. So I ask everybody this question, but what is your favorite failure?
1: Oh, I have so many. (laughs) It's hard to pick a favorite. When I first started building out the winery. I had so many failures on a daily basis because I didn't know what I was doing. I made so many mistakes. Like (laughs) we put in, so when we uh, started building out the new winery, we put in a cooling system to uh, keep, you know, you've got to keep the winery really cool. The winery has to be a very low temperature. um, And so you need really adequate cooling. Well, we put in the complete wrong system. Um, it was the bane of my existence. I just had no idea and it was expensive and it was clunky to use and I hated it. And it was a problem every single day, always was breaking. Um, and if I had just done a little more homework on the front end and talked to more people about exactly what we need, I think I would have had a better outcome. I was just moving too fast, trying to get things done too quickly. And, um, I think I settled for a less than ideal situation and I learned from that. That was a big mistake, and um, I learned that going forward, as I start to put in systems and things like that, talk to more people, get more input, slow down. <laughs> um, so yeah, I had a lot of little things like that.
0: Yeah, I feel like with owning a business, it is kind of like an everyday thing where you're like, well, that's not working or I did this wrong. So I'm gonna have to do it differently the next time. And it is a good lesson. But speaking of that, what would you say is the biggest lesson you've learned since having the winery?
1: I think that, um, working with the right partners is just the most important thing. Our winemakers and our partners, Jenny and Scott are the most incredible people. They've taught me so much. They're the genuinely sweetest, most sweet people I've ever encountered. And we've been through a lot together. We got through the fire. And I think that, um, I'm so grateful for them. And then for our manager, Renee, he is just the most wonderful man. Um, I couldn't do any of this without him. And I think that, um, you know, choosing the right partners, having the right people around you, um, whether it's your business partners or employees or vendors, um, that's, that's, those are your people, right? Those are the people that are going to help you build your business. And so being choosy about that, being cautious, being careful, but also being really willing to commit to those relationships, to building those out, to um, being supportive of of their interests as well, um, has been so critical to our business. And so that, that's, to me, one of the most important things.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so I think you said you bought it in 2017. And so if you could go back and tell 2017 Elizabeth something, what advice would you give her?
1: I would say, wow, uh, you have no idea what's coming, but it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be hard. And I think if 2017 me saw all the things we would have to go through, I don't know if I would have known that I would get through it. But I think the advice is like, you're going to get through it and you're going to turn out better because of it. And it's going to be such an adventure and so much fun. And I can't even believe I get to do all of this stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, you have such a resilient spirit. I just I love it. And so what is next for you? Where do you see the winery going? Yeah, so um, I'm working on some really fun things right
1: now. Um, we're going to continue to grow the business. Um, Harvest is obviously right around the corner so i'm focusing on making our 2022 vintage um focusing on selling the wine creating a community uh around the wine so i'm doing um a lot of just like back to school tastings for various friends girlfriends getting together um i love doing tastings and pouring our wines um i'm doing a new concept (laughs) which is so funny but um, i'm currently kind of obsessed with mahjong have you ever played mahjong No. Um, Okay, it's this game. And it's so big in Dallas, like all all the gals are playing it. It's a it's like a tile game. It's like rummy cube. So I'm rolling out a new concept where we do mahjong tournament and wine tasting, (laughs) my two favorite things. Um, So I'm kind of, uh, you know, building um, more of a community building out our customer base. That's what I'm focused on uh, right now.
0: I love it. And so where can people find you and your wine?
1: Yes. So our wine website is AdelaideThomas.com. All of our wine is available for purchase there. Our stories there. um, All of our contact information is on the website. My email is Elizabeth at AdelaideThomas.com. If anyone has questions or need wine country tips, I've helped so many of my friends plan um, trips to Sonoma and Napa. So I'm always uh, a resource there. And then on Instagram, I'm uh, Winery.
0: I love it. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing.
1: Thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. It was so nice to see you. And um, thank you again.